Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. nice to be back in the studio for 2019. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, the Supreme Court is going back into court for the new year as well. On January 4th, they will have their first private conference of the year where they will consider whether or not to take up certain cases. And one case they're going to discuss whether to take up is an interesting case out of Texas. Now, we don't normally highlight petitions that the justices are considering taking up, but we thought we'd do a special episode for the case of Moore versus Texas, a death penalty case that's already been up at the Supreme Court one time. Of course, since that's happened, there's been a lot of twists and turns in the case. Jordan, can you tell us about them? Sure. So listeners might remember Bobby Moore's case from 2017. This is from the October 2016 term, where Moore actually won his death penalty case there. The claim was based on intellectual disability. Uh, He claimed he was too intellectually disabled to be executed. As we all know, the Supreme Court says you cannot execute intellectually disabled people, but there's arguments over what that means exactly. And so in a 5-3 decision written by Justice Ginsburg back in March of 2017, the court said that the test that the Texas state court applied to evaluate Moore's intellectual disability was not rigorous enough. So in that decision, they sent the case back to the Texas state court to basically apply a more rigorous analysis to Moore's case. And so something happened after the case got sent back to Texas state court is that there was a new district attorney in the office that initially prosecuted Moore and secured the death sentence against him. And this new district attorney said that they actually agreed that Moore is too intellectually disabled to be executed. And then so sort of an interesting situation where they're both on the same side. So then you might think, okay, then, you know, what's left to discuss? They both agree that should be it. Well, no, because the same Texas state court that ruled against Moore in the case that was initially overturned by the Supreme Court, again, said Moore still needed to be executed, even though the district attorney, even though the district attorney agreed with Moore's side. So now Moore is appealing back to the Supreme Court again from this latest Texas state court ruling. And again, the DA, as it did, uh, the new DA's position is still the same. They still agree with Moore in front of the Supreme Court. So it's in sort of a weird situation where the the side that's technically opposed to Moore actually agrees with him. But there is another side that's being brought into this, and that's from the Texas Attorney General's office, which is trying to intervene in the case, even though they're not actually a party to the case. They want to basically get involved on behalf of advocating what they see as sort of the true Texas justice position of advocating for the death penalty. So that is quite a bit of twists and turns. But tell me this, Jordan, if the Supreme Court already ruled for Moore in 2017, even before the DA agreed with him, why wouldn't the justices most certainly rule for him again this time around? Right. Well, one of the things that's different this time around is that, yes, there is a district attorney that agrees with Moore's position, but the composition of the Supreme Court is actually different, even though Moore's case was decided not that long ago. So in that 5-3 decision written by Justice Ginsburg, that was joined by uh, Justices 
Breyer, uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Justice Kennedy, who's since retired. Uh, the, the dissenting justices are all still there, uh, Roberts, Thomas, and Alito. Uh, but since then, obviously, Kennedy has retired, and now we have Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch on the court, and so we don't know exactly what they would do in a case like this. And so even if Moore might in some ways feel in a better position having a DA who agrees with him, he might find himself maybe even in a more precarious situation this time given the current makeup of the court, but we just don't know what they're going to do yet. Right. So we've seen some action from Gorsuch in some death penalty cases, and he seems in general to be more inclined um, with the dissenters in Moore's uh, first case. Uh, but we really don't know anything about Justice Kavanaugh, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if that winds up being the case, as you said, then we could be in a 4-4 tie that in some ways could wind up being broken by Justice Kavanaugh. So the new Justice Kavanaugh could wind up holding the deciding vote in Moore's case if they wind up reviewing it on the merits. Well, and this was something um, that was interesting from Justice Ginsburg. I heard her speak a few years ago, and she said one of the most difficult things for her when she was elevated to the Supreme Court were these death penalty cases because they did not have death penalty cases on the D.C. Circuit where she had previously said and where Kavanaugh had said. So this really is kind of a blank slate that we're working from. Exactly. We really don't have any prior definitely death penalty decisions, really just criminal decisions in general. There are less on the D.C. Circuit. So we're still sort of feeling Kavanaugh out in that area of the law. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Right. And you wrote a story about some interesting um, individuals who are maybe trying to influence Kavanaugh's vote. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Ken Starr's involvement in this case? Oh, yeah. So in addition to the Texas Attorney General intervening and putting in its own brief, even though it's not a party to the case. There's another amicus brief that's interesting, like you mentioned, that was from Ken Starr and some other conservatives. Uh, as we know, Ken Starr was the uh, independent prosecutor who was in charge of, uh, who wound up going after Bill Clinton in various probes when Bill Clinton was the president. And Justice Kavanaugh was actually one of the people who worked on Starr's investigation. And in this brief that Starr and the other conservatives wrote, they actually sided with Moore's case. So that's another sort of yet another interesting angle to this case for the court to consider uh, to the extent that they're going to be taking those uh, other outside briefs into consideration. And and so Starr actually wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post where he was bringing up a lot of the same points that are in the, in the amicus brief. And he cited an opinion that Kavanaugh wrote that was on the D.C. Circuit where it basically talked about needing to follow precedent. And what Starr took from that is that the Texas state court here was not following precedent when it ruled against Moore again. And so he's basically using Kavanaugh's words, you know, to try and urge Kavanaugh and the court to rule in Moore's favor again this time. Well, that'll be really interesting. Of course, the first step is to see if the Supreme Court actually agrees to hear this case. Right. Again, they will consider whether to take it up on, in their private conference on January 4th. We could hear that day whether they take it up, or we could hear sometime uh, later, either Monday or later in the term. So we'll be keeping our eye on that. And thank you, Jordan, for getting us up to speed. Sure. For all of you listening along, you can follow along with Bobby Moore's case and other cases at the Supreme Court with Bloomberg Law at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks a lot. Thanks.